Romans, first chapter. Today's the day. Today's the day. I've been preaching here some 25 years. Never preached verse by verse through the book of Romans in that time. There was a few times when I was getting ready to start and apparently I wasn't ready. And I'm not sure I'm ready now. But I know the Lord, this is where He has us. And so, I tell you, I tremble at the thought of it. I really do. Because there's not another book in the Bible like this book. But I am confident that this is the day. And I am confident that what the Lord calls me to do, He will enable me to accomplish. Now, does that mean I know everything about the book of Romans? No. And you don't either. Okay? And so, so let's agree right there. Because I tell you, I've got, I've got preachers that I listen to, great men of God, and, and there are different little passages throughout the book of Romans that they, they see it a little differently. And that's okay. Because the foundational things, the foundational doctrines, oh yeah, we all agree, and we must agree. And so let's uh, just be in prayer as, as we begin this journey. Uh, I pray that, that you would lift me up as, as we do this. Pray that, that uh, I would have the, the strength, the, the wisdom, the discernment, the, the longevity to do this. To be honest, I've, I've have, I don't have a clue now how long this is going to take. One year, two years, three years, five years, I don't know. But I, I hope we can all agree that if we commit ourselves to the study of this book, we will come through it changed, that, that we will come through it stronger, that we will come through it with a better understanding of, of God because this is a book that's about God. God is mentioned more in the book of Romans than any other book in the Bible. It's a book about God. It's a book about redemption. It's a book about saving grace. It's a book about the gospel. It's a book about Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know, I've not preached through the whole book of Romans, but there is probably not a Sunday goes by that I don't quote at least a passage from the book of Romans. You know very well that Romans 10 gets it's read here. It's going to get read again today. Talking of, of, of confessing the Lord Jesus, believing on Him and calling on the name of the Lord and being saved. Because it's the truth within the, the book of Romans that, that opened my eyes. Opened my eyes to see that, that He loved me way before I ever loved Him. That opened my eyes to, to see that it was nothing of me. No good in me. No righteousness in me. Nothing of value in me whatsoever. But it was all Him and His grace and His mercy and His love. In his prayer, Dusty mentioned the gospel. And this is a book about the gospel, isn't it? And it's mentioned even in the first verse. We're going to read the first verse. 
I don't know how much we're going to talk about the first verse. We're going to talk a lot about Paul today, just kind of an introduction, just to get our feet a little bit wet in this. But, but let's read just that verse, first verse, Romans 1, New King James Version. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks. Thanks for your grace and your mercy. And thanks for the Apostle Paul. Thanks for inspiring him and calling him to, to bring the message of the gospel to the Gentiles. And Father, help us as we begin this journey. Help us along the way. Help us that, that, that we might study that we might gather and, and, and talk about your great truths and that we might learn more of who you are and, and also, Lord, in turn, learn more of who we are in Christ. So, Father, we need you. Apart from a move of the Holy Spirit to, to move along the truth in this book, it's just going to be a bunch of rambling words. So, Father, we need you. So help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Separated to the gospel of God. The, the ESV says set apart, set apart for the gospel of God. A, Paul, a minister of the gospel. And, and there are a few people that, that, <laughs> that, that think that Paul is not the author of this book. It seems pretty evident that it is and and most people agree that that Paul is the one that wrote this wonderful book and and in it is the gospel Paul in Romans teaches us that all are sinners in need of a savior uh, Romans 3 verse 23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of of God, all sinners in need of forgiveness, none of us on our own could attain to God's standard of righteousness. None, none, none could all have sinned. No one born on the face of this planet saved Jesus Christ. Holy enough, righteous enough, but all Sinners in need of a Savior. Romans 6, 23. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, you can look at it this way. Sin pays a wage. And the wage that it pays is what? Death. But the gift of God is what? E eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So you see, in mercy and love, God the Father provided a rescue for sinners. Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ, we, we sang about it this morning. It's already been talked about this morning. Christ came to pay the debt, to pay the wage, the cost of sin. 
a debt that we could not pay. He came to pay this debt so that all who by faith would believe could receive redeeming, saving grace. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. This is what we read so often. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord Overall is rich to all who call upon him, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I know I'll talk about this a lot. Saved. Saved from what? Saved from the wrath of God that will one day be poured out on all unbelievers. And we talked about this earlier. But as long as a sinner has breath, as long as they have breath, there is still hope that they might believe and receive the gift of eternal life. Amen? As long as there's breath. But after death, after death, the unbeliever is irrevocably destined for God's wrath. You get the depths of that. There is no second chance. There is not a, anybody that can pray anybody out of the grip of God's wrath. And don't ever believe anybody that tries to tell you such garbage. Irrevocably done. Shouldn't that, for, for the child of God, shouldn't, shouldn't that fill us with compassion for, for anyone who is yet lost? Because we know their end. Apart from the miracle of saving grace, we know their end. And the only thing that can change that is a miracle of mercy. A miracle of mercy for all who believe. For all who believe. And there's the great question. Do you believe? Do you believe? Yeah, John 11, verse 25. Jesus talking to this woman. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Though physically we will die, yet we will live. Because he rose, we shall rise with him. The power of the resurrection. In John 3, verses 14 through 18, we read this so often. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Believers, unbelievers. Everybody falls into one of those two categories. There is no other. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul set apart, separated to, the mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then we can say, well, what, what is the gospel? Well, Paul gives us the perfect definition of the gospel in, in 1 Corinthians 15. So let's go there and remind ourselves of it once again. <laughs> is it good that we remind ourselves of this? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. 1 Corinthians 15, uh, first eight verses. This is the Apostle Paul. Moreover, I, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once of whom the greater part remained the, to the present, but some have fallen asleep. You know, by this time, some had already passed, had already died. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. So now there's the gospel. Emphatic statements that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he rose again, that he was seen, that's the gospel. And then Paul says, then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. What was he talking about? <laughs> where did Paul, where did Saul see the Lord? The Damascus Road. Now, I want to spend some time talking about Paul, the writer of, of Romans. And, uh, now, I already mentioned it. Did, did Paul have another name? Saul. Saul. When did Saul become Paul? See, now, now you, may, you may want to say, at the Damascus Road, Jesus changed his name. No. No, he didn't. He didn't. Uh, some will think that, that Jesus changed Saul's, because he, he changed uh, Peter's name, didn't he? For, for a purpose, he did. We, we know that. We can go and read that. There was a purpose there. But Jesus didn't change uh, Saul's name. Saul's conversion is recorded in the first part of Acts 9, and we're going to read that a little bit later. But but if you go, and so for your homework, we're not going to read all of, of chapter 7, 8, and 9 in Acts. So, so there's your homework. You can do that. You're going to get the stoning of Stephen. And, and we're going to read a portion of that. Uh, but when you read the, the ninth chapter of Acts, when you get to the remainder of the chapter, this is after the, the encounter with Christ. He is still referred to as Saul. Uh, Jesus appeared to Ananias and, and, and says, Go to Saul of Tarsus. And, and then when Ananias calls on him, he, he calls him Brother Saul. And we can read in, in, at the end of that uh, chapter 9 that it is Saul 
who preaches Christ in the synagogues in Jerusalem. And it's not until, if you want to write this down, it's Acts 13.9. We'll put it up on the screen. It's not until Acts 13.9 that Saul is referred to as Paul. Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Now from this, this verse on, from this verse on in Scripture, he is referred to as Paul. So Paul had two names. A Hebrew name, because he was of the tribe of Benjamin. His Hebrew name was Saul. Paul was a Roman citizen. Paul's Roman name was Paul. So, so he, he had two names. And, and so perhaps it, it was Paul himself who chose to be called by his Roman name. And I tend to think that because the meaning, I looked up the meaning of the name Paul. Here's what it means. It means little, small, or humble. Doesn't that kind of describe the Apostle Paul? That, that Christ would increase, that I would decrease. So I, I don't, we can ask Paul someday. Paul, tell us about that name change thing. How come uh, we, we, we always called you Paul after this certain part? Let me ask you this, and, I, and I've already alluded to it. Where's the first biblical account of Saul? Stoning of Stephen. Uh, we know that if you want to go ahead and be turning to Acts 7th chapter, because we know when, when you read the whole chapter there, and you can read it all, uh, we know that Stephen was full of faith and power, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And because of that, Stephen was seized. He was brought forth as a blasphemer against Moses and God. And when Stephen is brought before the high priest, he is asked, Are these things so? <laughs> and then Stephen unloads, doesn't he? And, and we'll let you read Read all that in, in chapter 7. Oh, here's a, here's a sermon. Stephen gives the history of the children of God, doesn't he? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a great sermon. And I want to just read the last three verses of that sermon, which would be Acts 7, verse 51 through 53. I'll leave you to read the rest. And, and here and he's quoting from the Lord. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised and Heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. He's, he's, he is letting them have it, isn't he? In the power of the Spirit... Stephen was preaching. Now, what is the reaction? What is the reaction? Here, let's read that. Verses 54 through 60 in Acts 7. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. Can you imagine someone being that angry? That They're that angry. They're that out of their mind with anger. But he... Stephen, but he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Do you not 
think that the Lord has mercy on those who are about to be martyred? Did you not think that God gives a gives a just a, a supernatural indwelling of power and might in times such as this? He, he looks up and he sees the Lord. And he said, Look, I see the heavens opened and a Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they the crowd, they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears and ran at him in one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing miracle right there. And who was there? Saul. Well, yeah, but he was only only the coat keeper. You know, they they had to take off their, their heavy robe or their coat or their cloak to be able to cast the stones, you see. And so they, Stephen is a, or uh, Saul as a young man is, is watching over those. But, but don't think that he didn't play a part in this. Don't think that he's an innocent bystander. Let's go on into Acts, the eighth chapter, first four verses. Now, Saul was consenting to his death, to Stephen's death. You see, he wasn't an innocent bystander. He was consenting. So he was probably over there gnashing his teeth as well, thinking, I, oh, I wish I could be in there with them. You know, I, that's just me speculating. But he was consenting to Stephen's death. And let's go on. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentations over him. Well, what about Saul? Well, let's keep reading. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church. Listen to this. He made havoc of the church entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Saul wreaking havoc on the church. It says they, they were scattered everywhere, and yet, what were they doing? They went everywhere. Did they quit preaching the word? No. No. This is the explosion of the early church. God had a plan and a purpose in all this. God had a plan in them being scattered. I hope you understand that. Now, when we preached through the book of James, we talked about this uh, way back then. That's been quite a while ago now. But look at James' first chapter, first verse. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. When were they scattered? 
Acts 8th chapter. That's when they were scattered. And, and so James wrote this letter. The church is scattered. The church is still preaching the word of Christ. And here is Saul wreaking havoc upon the church, dragging people. Picture this, dragging them out of their homes, committing them to prison. And we know some even to death as Stephen. And church, never forget this. Are you listening? We have brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world that are facing this same persecution today. Never forget that. Here we are in comfy little Pilot Knob, Missouri in our soft little chairs and, and, and safe and secure. But that's not so with the brotherhood of Christ throughout this world. There are still people wreaking havoc on the church, dragging people. The same thing happens now. Dragging them out of their homes, stoning them, killing them, putting them in prison. Why? Because they won't renounce Christ. So may we pray for them. Pray for the brotherhood and sisterhood of Christ. And, and may we support them in prayer. And, and what other, any other way the Lord might call us to help. Because there are people today still wreaking Havoc among the church of God. And Saul was wreaking havoc. And, and Paul talked about his former self, didn't he? Quite often. I want to read a few scriptures. Galatians 1, verses 13 and 14. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. That was his aim. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the tradition of my fathers. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle, why? Why would he say that? Because I persecuted the church of God. Is, is, is this anything that he could ever totally get from his mind? No. No. And that's good. To, to remember where, where the Lord has brought him from. Philippians 3 verses 5 and 6. This is that pedigree, so to speak. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Now, let's go back to Acts, the book of Acts again. Let's go to chapter 9, verse 2 verses. So here we had in chapter 8, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. And now Acts chapter 9, first two verses. Then Saul 
still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So why is he going to Damascus? Wreak havoc. Still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, asked for letters so that if he found any who were of the way. And on the screen there, maybe uh, depending on what version you're reading, the way is capitalized. Who's this talking about? What's people of the way? Who's the way? It's Christ. Uh, This is talking of believers, uh, of Christ, the the way, the truth, the life. It's John 14, verse 6. I'm going to read it. I know you've got this memorized. Jesus said to him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so Paul is looking to imprison all of those who were of the way of Christ. In Acts, let's drop down now. Acts 22, verse 3 and 4. I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in the, this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our Father's law, and was zealous toward God as you all are today, I I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both uh, men and women. So here it is again. Who is he after? Who is he wreaking havoc on? Church, those of the way of Christ. Let's go a little bit further in Acts 22, verses 19 and 20. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by, consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Let's drop down to verse uh, Chapter 26 in Acts, verses 9 through 11. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. (laughs) You get that? This this, This is Saul, this is Paul. Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, those of the way. This I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. This guy's a monster. You see that. I compelled them to blaspheme, renounce the name of Christ, and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. He is chasing after them wherever they went, wherever they were scattered. There's Saul after them. 
But one day, one day, God said, it's time. One day, God said, it's time. It, it's time for this one to become my minister. Let's go back and read it. Acts 9. I know we read the first two verses, but I want to read them again. Let's begin in verse 1 in Acts 9. Read down through verse 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Let me pause there. Do you understand? You've probably heard that. Do you understand what that is? Maybe some of your younger ones. A goad is a sharp stick. If you've lived on a farm, you, you know when you're trying to corral animals or something, sometimes you need a stick. You're trying to get a cow to go up in a chute, and you got something, and you're prodding them along, and you're, and you're, you're gouging them with it, trying to get them to go. And, and sometimes they, they would have enough of it, and they would kick, and you'd have to be careful not to be too close. And, and, and so here the Lord is prodding Paul, Saul, you see, and he's kicking. Oh, why, 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 Saul, why do you kick against the goad? So he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, neither ate nor drank. Can you imagine can, the work that the Holy Spirit is doing in the heart and mind of Saul during these three days? Can, can you imagine what he must be thinking? I, I can't. I, I can't imagine it. God called Saul to go and minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. And again, I'll, I'll let you read uh, the rest of the account there of Ananias, and you can do all that. So if you, if you want to read, it's probably Acts 7, 8, and 9. And if you want to just keep going, we're, we're going to read. Uh, let's go to Acts 26 again. And, and this is, is Paul, and he's talking with King Agrippa, of, of this experience. And so you get a little bit more of the story as, as Paul is telling this later. <clears throat> Acts 26, verses 12 through 18. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, and remember he's talking to Agrippa, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you 
persecuting me, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand to your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. You know, a minister of the things that he has witnessed. Things of the past, Stephen. Things of the present. Things of the future, the things that the Lord's going to show him yet to come. To make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Verse 17, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles. What's he saying? I will restrain the hands that will try to come against you, you know, whether the Jewish people or whether the Gentiles. Does that mean Paul had an easy time? No, it doesn't. But the Lord sustained his life until he was, he was done. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Now, now listen, now listen. Here's a verse that got me. I was reading over this again last night, sitting at my desk, reading verse 18, crying at the thought of this verse. The Lord is telling him, to whom I now send you. Why? Why is he sending? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, in your heart, I hope you're saying, Hallelujah! Because where would we be without this? Without the Lord coming to open our eyes to bring us from darkness to light, to, to bring us from the power of the enemy, from, from the power of Satan to God, that, that we might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith. Oh, that's a glorious thought, you see. <laughs> Thank the Lord for, for Saul, for Paul. Galatians 1, first chapter, verse 15 and 16. But when it pleased God, <laughs> when, it ple when, it, when it was God's timing, you see, light shone. In your life, when it was God's timing, if you're born again, light shone. In anybody's life, when it pleased the Lord, light shone, light shine. But when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and again, ESV, who set me apart before I was born and called me through His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And he says, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He didn't have to. The power of God overwhelmed him. He didn't need somebody to tell him. He knew. Same way 
You don't need somebody to tell you you're saved. If you don't know it yourself, you better be on your knees crying out to God. He didn't need to confer with flesh and bread. He, he, he knew what the Lord was asking him to do. Paul set apart from before he was born to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Now let that sink in for a little bit. I don't know if you're having thoughts like I did. Remember, this guy's a monster. We, we read everything. He was When was he set apart for this job as minister? What's the word say? Before he was born. Before he was born. God had a plan for Paul since before his birth. Now, now as we think about that, do, do, you th do you think there was ever a moment between his birth and the Damascus road that God looked down and, and, and went, Saul, what are you doing? Well, I've lost control of Saul. Look, he's, he's gone and, he, and he's persecuting the church. Oh no, well, what's happened to the one that I set apart? No. God had a plan and a purpose for Saul before he was born. God is always in control. Amen? He is always in control. So it, it seems to me, for God's plans and for God's purposes, God, for a season, withdrew from Saul to let him travel down a road that he thought was right, that in his own eyes he was doing the right thing. That, that God just, just held back and, and just let him go. Let him go. Allowing Paul to fall into sin. Allowing Paul to follow after what he thought was right. Allowing Paul to become the chiefest of sinners. 1 Timothy 1.15 this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Did God know what He was doing? <laughs> yes. He always does. Paul's an example for us. And Paul would even say, look at me. Follow me. Let me be your example. And he is an example because if God can save the chief of sinners, then surely he could save me. <laughs> See, no one can rightly say, oh, no, I've gone too far. I've, I've gone too far. Surely God couldn't love somebody like me. Surely God couldn't save somebody like me. No, tell them about Saul. Did you see the example? And also this, also this, if God can use the chief of sinners to minister in such a powerful way among the Gentiles, then surely God can use anyone. Amen? So no child of God can say, God can't use me. I, I'm a mess. You don't know what all I've done in my past. Surely God wouldn't use me. Tell them about Saul. Do you see that? 
God had a plan and a purpose for what he allowed Paul to go through. Now, God is not the author of sin. No, no, no. Don't, don't think that. But, oh, if God just pulls himself and lets us go, oh, we, we will go down a path, won't we? We will go down a path of sin. So God has the power to save anyone. And God has the power to enable anyone to do for His good pleasure according to His plans and purposes. Amen? Because look what He did with a man named Saul who did despicable things. And yet God used him. God chose him. And so I, I believe that, that for a season that God withdrew, if you want to put I don't know if I'm saying that right, but I hope you understand what I'm trying to say when I say that. That God allowed this to happen. And some estimate, and I'm not sure about this, I didn't get a whole lot of references on this. Many people say that he's perhaps spent some 30, 40 years from the entirety of this persecuting the church. I, I just got to be honest, I don't know there. But it was a time because he went, look at everywhere he went. He went to so many people, to, to, to different cities. There had to be a lot of time in there, it seems to me. But yet, but yet, but yet, God chooses him to lead the Gentile mission. Can God use you? Yes, he can. Yes, he can. Can he use me? Yes, he can. Uh, I've got a quote from, uh, this is Leon Morris's commentary on Romans. I'll close with this in talking about this very thing. Quote, God set Paul apart before birth. God permitted Paul to go his own way for a season. Then on the Damascus road, God called him. Can you understand why Paul could write? But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I tell you, put yourself in the verse. So I believe Paul was putting himself in the verse. Let me continue. Paul could never escape thoughts of the magnitude of grace and mercy that he, the chiefest of sinners, received. And neither should we. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for your word. And Lord, you know every heart that is here. You know their condition before you. And so, Father, I pray that you would open their eyes, that, that they could see exactly who they are. That they could see that perhaps they're a sinner yet in need of a Savior. Or perhaps to, to give them assurance that, yes, they are yours. And that by the power of the Spirit, that your Spirit would bear witness with theirs that they truly are a child of God and they could stand in that identity. So Lord, help us. We need you. In the midst of this journey of going through the book of Romans, we need you. So help us, Father, to learn of great and precious promises. Help us to learn of great and precious doctrines. So Lord, give us an excitement. Give us a zeal that we would want to study, that we'd want to be in your word, that we would want to talk about what, what we're learning with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So Lord, we need you.
It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.